0: In part two of our examination of Skylar Niece's murder, we learn how the police captured the perpetrators and how those criminals attempted to avoid capture. We also get to see how differently people react to extreme stress in this episode. Join me as we finish off this tragic tale. Killing. Missing. Hidden. A podcast about. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Killing, Missing, Hidden. We're here to finish off our deep dive into the murder of Skylar Niece, the young teenager from West Virginia. As always, I'm Brad, your host, former criminal defense attorney for all sorts, including murderers, like we're going to talk about today. Now look, in case you haven't listened to part one, just stop now. You got to go listen to it. Otherwise, today's episode won't make a ton of sense. I mean, you don't start a novel at page 126, right? So go, shoo, shoo, get on now. Come on, get back to part one. Okay. Okay, I think they're gone. Quick recap, for those of you who did listen last week, Skylar was best friends with Sheila and Rachel until Sheila and Rachel got a little too close and started squeezing Skylar out of the small group. Skylar got furious, which caused Sheila and Rachel to decide that Skylar had to die. We're picking up our story right after that murder. So the morning after this event, Skylar's dad knocked on her bedroom door trying to wake her. He was shocked, frankly, that she didn't immediately respond. I mean, he was offering the use of his car. He needed a ride to work and thought she could use the car for the rest of the day. When he finally just opened the door, Skylar wasn't there. Her dad was kind of panicky by nature, so his wife tried to keep him calm, but he just couldn't do it. He had to go look for where Skylar was. He took the day off from work and quickly discovered Skylar had snuck out the night before. This fact hit Skylar's mother particularly hard. She knew that she hadn't been stern enough with her the first time she was caught sneaking out, And now she was wondering what other warning signs she had missed. Her mom searched her room and found nothing that was missing that would indicate kind of a runaway situation, you know? Her contact lenses were there, her toothbrush, most importantly, her phone charger. Now, to fully understand everything that occurred after Skylar went missing, we're going to have to break this story down into different points of view. We're going to start with Skylar's parents and kind of what they experienced, then shift to the police and how they conducted their investigation, and then finally twist over to Sheila and Rachel's perspective as they did what they could to avoid detection. And then after that, when all three are at roughly the same point, we'll just go back to a normal storytelling. All right, so Skylar's parents. Their first move was to go confront Floyd. You remember he had been Skylar's chauffeur the first time he had she had been caught sneaking out. Skylar's mom said they effectively just harassed the stew out of Floyd. They didn't know anything. And then, I mean, they were hitting him hard. You know, did you pick up Skylar last night? Did you do drugs with her? Have you had sex with her? And he answered all these questions honestly. I mean, they didn't have a relationship. He wasn't there the night before. They didn't do drugs together or anything like that. And fortunately for him, you know, Skylar's mom believed him, thought he was telling the truth. And he he, he was, you know, he and Skylar just were friends. Now, word got out pretty quickly about Skylar missing. And the nieces received a huge response from the community when they started to ask for help in searching for Skylar. You know, when they put out that request originally. They kind of expected maybe a dozen or so people to show up to help search for. Yeah, um, instead, they got this dozens upon dozens. It was a small army. And these folks, they searched woods, they searched back alleys for Skylar, and they were posting missing persons flyers everywhere they could. However, people were noticing that Despite this army going out and working hard, there weren't many posters that could be seen passing through town. Like, for example, a salon owner specifically remembered putting up one of those missing persons flyers on the window in her front door. But a couple of days later, it was gone. And the salon owner wasn't the only person who noticed this. Um, You know, other business owners saw it. Certainly the volunteers who put up the signs noticed it. It seemed as if someone was actively taking down the missing person's flyers and posters of Skylar. Now, shortly after Skylar went missing, police received this tip that Skylar was seen at a drunk den about six miles away, but they dismissed it. They didn't believe it. However, her father had once been addicted to prescription drugs and he knew how deeply those claws could sink into anyone. So if there was a chance, just any chance that Skylar could be found, he was going to take it. So he headed off to this drug house in question. And he spent days just watching this house. And anybody that came and went, he would confront them. You know, some people thought he was looking to buy. Some people thought he was looking to sell. Some people thought he was a popo. But all of them, he was like, no, no, I'm just... I'm just looking for my daughter. I don't care where she is or what she's done. Can you please tell me if you've seen her? And sadly, he got the same response every time. Nobody had seen her. Someone started a Facebook group devoted to Skylar's case. Um, But this, what should have been a hub of information sharing, just became an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, rumors were being posted and wild accusations flew around like pigeons. It got so bad that the group turned against Skylar's own parents. It was a mess. It literally as bad as social media can get, you know. Skylar's parents were not given any sort of like administrator rights to the group um, because the founders of the group believed that open, uncensored discussions were good for the investigation. But, you know, Skylar's parents couldn't sit there and just watch people say, oh, well, Skylar ran off because she was abused by her dad. Uh, You know, so they started their own Facebook group. And this was kind of one of the many ways that the community became divided over this case. The original Facebook group, one of the founders was a lady by the name of Jennifer Hunt. And oddly, she knew everything the police were doing in this case. Everything. Even what they were thinking, what their next steps were going to be, she clearly had access to some sort of mall. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But the police never discovered who was serving as the leak. But sure enough, it was as if Jennifer was in every police department meeting about Skylar's case. As I said, the community kind of had this fracture in it, and it really... It really became three factions, okay? So there was one group that believed Sheila and Rachel were somehow responsible or at least knew what happened to Sheila and weren't talking. There was the this, this second group that just took Sheila and Rachel's word as gospel because they were Skylar's best friends. Why would they lie? And then there was a third group that also believed the two young girls, but they viciously went after anyone who suggested they had anything to do with Schuyler's disappearance. And this third group was the one that really took advantage of that original Facebook group as a platform to express their opinions. Okay, now we'll hop over to law enforcement's point of view. The local police jumped on this case immediately um, you know, at first they reviewed security footage of the area, but they couldn't really learn much from it. They 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 noticed Skylar sneaking out of the house at 12:31 a.m. and got into a vehicle, but they couldn't the, the footage was so poor, they couldn't really make out much information about the vehicle at all. The police also, of course, started interviewing everybody Skylar knew, including Rachel and Sheila. In fact, Uh, Sheila was so cooperative, she helped the police develop the initial timeline they relied on for much of their investigation. So she admitted that, you know, she and Rachel and Skylar did sneak out around 11 o'clock that night, but they dropped Skylar off back home at 11.45, and they didn't drop her off, like, outside of the house, where the security camera would have caught it, but instead dropped her off kind of down the road So that way Skylar could sneak back into her apartment um, without running the risk of waking up her parents. Now, based upon that, there's 46 minutes where nobody knows what Skylar is doing. And then she appears, like I said, on the security footage at 12.31 a.m., jumping into this mystery car, never to be seen again. Otherwise, no one that the police talked to could really provide much useful information for Skylar. Police sought to issue an amber alert for Skylar, but because of the way the system was designed and meant to be used, it couldn't, they weren't allowed to use the amber alert system. Essentially, at that time, the amber alert system was only meant to be used in cases of abduction. And since police didn't really have any evidence that somebody took Skylar, I mean, it looked like she left on her own, state officials denied the request for an amber alert. Now, about three days into the investigation, police received a tip that was rather exciting. A girl that appeared to be Skylar was seen with a redheaded girl down on the beaches of North Carolina. Local police in North Carolina were immediately contacted and they started looking for Skylar. and they found her. But it wasn't Skylar. It was a girl who looked a lot like Skylar. But this was just a case of misidentification. Now, interestingly, the FBI got involved in this case, though not how you would think. About the same time Schuyler went missing, there was a bank robbery in a nearby town. And based on the descriptions of the robbers that witnesses provided, it was believed a young girl was traveling with this band of thieves. So the FBI heard about Skylar's disappearance, were investigating this bank robbery and said, well, this is too big a coincidence. Skylar had to be the girl that was in on the bank robbery. Before long, however, they learned that there actually wasn't a girl in this gang. The eyewitnesses had misidentified, I guess, a, a smaller man for a girl. That's how valuable eyewitness testimony is. Nevertheless, the FBI, you know, took interest in Skyler's case, particularly because there's a chance that she could have been taken into Pennsylvania, thus crossing state lines, thus giving the FBI jurisdiction. And I've mentioned this in the last episode, and I don't think I cleared it up, but uh, Star City and University High and that whole area was really only about 10 miles south of the West Virginia, Pennsylvania line. Uh, so that's how people were thinking that you know they went into Pennsylvania and that's how the girls were able to get into Pennsylvania it wasn't as far as away as as you may think the local police were running in circles in their investigation and the fbi kind of kept their distance from the local investigation to conduct their own When it seemed like no progress was being made, Schuyler's parents visited with the local police chief, a meeting where Schuyler's mom got a little out of hand and was asked firmly but politely to get out of his office. In frustration, Schuyler's mom called the state police, who were totally unaware of this case, and they took interest immediately. The West Virginia State Police took Skylar's diary into custody to see what they could learn from it. They also spent a lot of time studying the security footage. Like, they were going frame by frame to see what they could learn. And in doing that, they believed that they could describe the vehicle Skyler could be seen climbing into at 12.31 a.m. And that description they came up with kind of sort of matched Sheila's car. So right now, we have three official investigations going on and none of the three are working together, which is problematic. There was also a fourth investigation going on, a covert investigation I'll throw in. Skyler's friend Daniel believed wholeheartedly that Sheila and Rachel were behind whatever happened to Skyler. And of course, while he lacked any like real authority, On his own, when school started back, he just pestered the stew out of the two girls, particularly Rachel. He was just insistent about finding out what really happened and put as much peer pressure on the girls as he could in an effort to find out the truth. And oftentimes Daniel was so aggressive, teachers would pull him aside and chastise him, saying he was being cruel. Now, eventually, actual law enforcement began piecing together the girls' social dynamics, they learned that despite all three girls, you know, really having their own personalities, of course, Rachel and Skylar seemed to kind of shrink back and allowed Sheila to be the queen bee. They believe the other two girls found Sheila's way of living life to be exciting, even though it wasn't necessarily for them. Like, for example, Sheila loved to party, so she was always looking for a party to go to. If she found one, she would go. She would usually end up getting drunk or high or both, making out with every boy she could and just, you know, generally doing all the bad girl things, right? Skylar would attend, but she never felt comfortable at these parties, so she'd kind of retreat to a couch in the corner of the room and just play it on her phone as she watched Sheila do her thing. And Rachel, having such a strict mom, often couldn't be there. Uh, So she kind of lived vicariously through the stories she heard and Skylar's text and Twitter updates. Now, because the threesome were considered inseparable, several investigators began to question why Sheila never really tweeted about Skylar or to Skylar. They also found it odd that she had never sent out any sort of, you know, like electronic versions of the missing persons flyer or anything like that, despite being so savvy on social media. And they really were concerned by the fact that Sheila never once called or texted Skylar after she went missing. When she was confronted with these questions, Sheila would just comment about how hard it was for her to even think about Skylar being gone and would often break down in tears. And yet, after this encounter, Sheila immediately started sending out you know, emails and Facebook messages and uh, would post regularly about Skylar and ask people, you know, please let us know if you know anything. I miss her so much and all that, all that crap, to be honest. Not long after she started up on social media, she went to that original Facebook group's wall and posted, quote, all I want is for my best friend to come home. I wish I knew something that would give the police a lead so she can come home but I don't know anything. I wish I knew something like everybody thinks I do. Come home, Skylar. It's been five weeks too long. I miss you and love you. Now, as you can tell, this message isn't terribly subtle. It's kind of directed towards the police, right? And it's saying, I know you're looking at me as a suspect, but I don't know anything. Now, when school started back, Sheila and Rachel became incredibly uncomfortable. They were essentially on this social island in the River of Students, and they were the constant source of rumors. They'd walk down the hall and see kids whispering about them. Things changed dramatically for the girls. So at this point, let's switch over to what Rachel and Sheila are experiencing. Well, from the get-go, Rachel was a mess. Within hours of returning home from the murder, she began begging God for forgiveness in her prayers and in her diary. Uh, I mean, days of diary entries indicated Rachel was just shredded on the inside with guilt and was praying with all of her might for God's forgiveness. Rachel was such a mess that she realized the next morning she had left her phone at the crime scene. But she just couldn't bring herself to drive out there and get it. So she called Sheila, who was like, yeah, I got it, no problem. She goes out to the woods to the crime scene, where she's standing essentially next to Skylar's body, and starts texting Rachel's phone until she could hear the ringtone and find it. She was very proud of the fact that she was able to find the cell phone. And, you know, returning to the scene of the crime didn't seem to faze her at all. Rachel had to rely on her acting skills to kind of get through the day. Um, She, you know, tried to present herself as a saddened friend who knew next to nothing. And Sheila tried to do the same, but her way, of course, was much less polished. When it was revealed publicly that Skylar was missing, Sheila instantly began texting her friends to ask if they knew anything. But when they were to respond, Sheila kind of seemed disinterested. Curiously, Sheila never texted her cousin Chrissy. And this is odd because Skylar was actually really good friends with Chrissy. And Chrissy only learned about Skylar's disappearance when a friend from Virginia texted her to offer her condolences. So Chrissy's ticked off. She calls Sheila. And, you know, Sheila's defense is she just forgot. She's not thinking clearly. She just learned her best friend was missing. She didn't know what, you know, to do. She had no excuse and she apologized. Now, despite not being the actor in the group, Sheila, you know, was pretty excellent at keeping up appearances. She was heavily involved in the search efforts. When she was out on the days where they go post flyers and things like that she knows she wasn't crying like many of the others were. And so she made it a point apparently to start crying at some point, every time she went out with these search groups, she also stayed really, really close to the nieces. Now, in fairness, the nieces had always accepted Sheila and Rachel as kind of their de facto daughters. I mean, because the three of them were together all the time. So if they were going to raise and take care of, of Skylar, they were going to do that with her best friends, right? But, you know, there's stories of Sheila coming over to the niece's home and asking for permission just to sit in Skylar's room because she missed her so much. And oftentimes she'd devolve into crying, which would, you know, of course break Skylar's mom's heart, and she would just come in there and sit with Sheila to try to comfort her. Sheila also tried to be involved in the police briefings with the family, And of course, at the beginning, nobody thought this was odd. They were happy that one of the, you know, a friend wanted to be so helpful. And she would ask a lot of questions. And they were always in the vein of trying to be, you know, a motivating force to help find her friend. But there were a small group of detectives who thought Sheila came across as kind of phony and thought she was a little too interested in the specifics of the investigation. This caused them to question Sheila more than anyone. But Sheila, remember, loves limelight and attention. And so being alone with the detectives in this room, being the focus of the investigation, she seemed to just relish. Um, While she was being interrogated, she would ask as many questions as they were asking of her. And she just never seemed intimidated, ever. Rachel, meanwhile, kind of retreated um her mom thought it would be a good idea if they kind of got away for a while so they went on a trip to a local lake where she could spend her days you know sunbathing and boating and all that and this was the first time anyone noticed the bad cut on her ankle you know that skyler had given her while she was trying to save her life rachel just explained this away as oh you know when i was climbing into the boat i i caught the i caught the blade on the motor and you know it just cut but she stayed away largely from the investigation she she it, it bothered her to be around the police and all that during the summer at one point Sheila's family just insisted that look we we've got to go on vacation we've got to get away from all of this and Sheila really resisted you know under the guise of i can't leave while Skylar's still missing but you know her family said, you're going, so she went. Now, while she was gone, she had a friend named um, Sheena, and Sheena was, kind of took up Skylar's role as the cheerleader in the case. In fact, while she was being interviewed by police one day, Sheena was playing on her phone the entire time, and eventually the investigator said, what are you doing? Who are you texting? And she was honest. She said, I'm texting Sheila. This caused the lead detective to kind of blow up and start yelling at her. And while this ruckus was going on, Sheila called. And when Sheena didn't answer, Sheila began blowing up Sheena's phone with text messages. Sheena asked if she could call Sheila back, and the detective said sure. But Sheena had to put the conversation on speaker and began explaining to Sheila... You know, during the conversation that she was there with the detectives and she didn't think that they believed Sheila's story, and Sheila just burst into tears. She was crying, she was sobbing. She was telling Sheena, You know, they just have to believe me. I don't know anything. You have to help me. The lead detective then asked for the phone and kind of began aggressively telling Sheila that, Look, your story's not adding up and we don't believe you. This caused Sheila to begin crying even more and the detectives managed to make her stop crying with one question and that question was would you believe your own story there was silence for a spell before sheila meekly said no i wouldn't after the police after this the police kind of start to get their act together as far as unifying their investigations in this avengers like moment This first went on public display when all three levels of law enforcement arrived at University High School. They walked in and asked to jointly, they asked jointly if they could interview Sheila and Rachel, but in separate conference rooms. The teachers and the staff were shocked, but they allowed it to happen. Sheila was her typical self. You know, she wasn't intimidated talking to local police. She wasn't intimidated talking to the state police. And, you know, she wasn't intimidated talking to FBI agents. If anything, she probably found it flattering, you know. Rachel, however, felt the stress a whole heck of a lot more. And she was much more cooperative. In fact, Rachel agreed to voluntarily give law enforcement her cell phone along with her password. Now, this was a massive, massive step forward in the investigation because the police had already subpoenaed Sheila's phone records, but they hadn't been able to gather up enough information on Rachel to subpoena hers. So now having her phone, they could start working at comparing the activities of at least what the phones were doing when Skylar went missing. And guess what? The phone records they had did not match the girl's story. Sheila and Rachel were not with Skylar when they claimed to be. In fact, the two girls were not even with each other from that 11 p.m. to 11.45 p.m. window that they said they were together. So this turned out to be a pretty big turning point. And it also caused Sheila and Rachel to just kind of start acting out. While previously the worst thing school officials could have said about the pair is, you know, sometimes they wore skirts that were a little too short, now they were cutting class, back-talking teachers, and just being general pains in the butt. Sheena, in an effort to help her friend during this time, made this huge collage for Sheila. And it was pictures of happier times with all of her friends. And when she gave it to Sheila, Sheila just fawned over it and cried tears of joy. She thought... It was so thoughtful and all that. But when Sheena visited several days later, the collage she made had been stored away. And Sheena noticed that oddly, all of the pictures of Skylar were ripped off her face, so that Skylar was no longer in the collage. Now, like we said, the girls started acting out and the parents reacted to these personality changes in different ways. Sheila's mom went into defense mode, and she did everything she could to keep Sheila safe. In fact, Sheila's mom went so far as to invite Rachel over and kind of interview them herself in an effort to make sure their stories matched. On the other side of the coin, Rachel's mom privately began to doubt her daughter's story. She tried to push Rachel to give her more information, but her daughter just put the walls up. And in a rather sly move, Rachel asked a family friend, one that Rachel really looked up to, to take Rachel out for an afternoon and just see if she could learn anything from Rachel about Skylar. So during lunch, this family friend, you know, started asking a few questions and got kind of pointed and, And started prying and Rachel immediately said look I can't talk to you about this without talking to Sheila's mom first which was an odd answer and the friend noticed it was an odd answer and kind of flew off the handle and she said why on earth would you need to talk to your friend's mom about this before you can even talk to me about it this doesn't make a lick of sense Rachel you've got to know something if that's your answer you need to tell me What's going on? Well, Rachel just became extremely meek. And after two hours of talking, both women left the restaurant with tear-stained cheeks. The friend had decided that she was certain Rachel knew what happened to Skylar, but whatever it was, it was so bad that Rachel was too scared to share the story. Chrissy also happened to learn something interesting. First, she witnessed Sheila's mom doing the coaching clinics with Sheila and Rachel. And it, she developed the opinion that Rachel, um, uh, Sheila's mom was truly trying to make sure the girls stayed on the same page. She was actively trying to protect them by making sure their lies were consistent. More damning, though, is that Sheila's mother admitted to Chrissy that Sheila had lied about where the girls had been the night Skylar went missing. And this just shocked Chrissy beyond belief. You know, she reacted to it and Sheila's mom could see that. And Sheila's mom said, no, 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 look, everything's fine. The girls are going to take lie detector tests and they're going to pass. You'll see. But Chrissy just remained in disbelief. I mean, if the girls had been lying this whole time, about where they were on that fateful night, what else were they willing to lie about? Now, about the same time, two anonymous Twitter accounts were created. And these accounts apparently were created for the sole purpose of harassing Sheila and Rachel. These accounts became famous among the University High students. And the Twitter accounts did their job. They really turned the opinion of the student body against Sheila and Rachel. It got so bad that whenever Sheila and Rachel would walk down the hall together at school, students would, you know, jokingly, but cruelly, call out, you know, step back, the murderers are coming for us, or something like that. Eventually, the girls had to be pulled out of school, but not for the reasons you think. It was not done at the request of either Sheila or her parents, or Rachel, or her parents, it was done at the request of the U.S. Attorney's Office on the grounds that it was allegedly for the safety of the other students. This, of course, also had the effect of further isolating the girls and kind of subtly increasing the pressure that they'd be experiencing. And this increase in pressure started to work. In a subsequent police interview, Sheila made the mistake of changing her story. She changed where they had dropped Skylar off. And she couldn't explain to the officers why the cell phone records didn't match her story. And it was at this point, you know, the detectives felt like they were slowly unraveling the lies that, It had to feel like, you know, sharks circling the waters and they smelt blood. Detectives insisted, insisted that the girls take a lie detector test at this point. Which at this point, they talked to their attorneys and their attorneys allowed them to agree to it. Okay, so now why would the attorneys allow for this to happen? On Sheila's side of the fence, I have no doubt she was selling her story so well that her attorneys believed there was no real chance she would fail. Or the attorneys didn't believe Sheila at all, but had no evidence she was lying. And this would present them with a chance to learn how truthful she had been with them. Nothing's worse than walking into a courtroom with the client who you have no idea whether or not they're telling the truth. And it makes it so much harder to sell their story to the jury. And it's just embarrassing as all get out when you've got this entire theory for your defense and the state can poke hole after hole after hole after hole after hole in it because your client lied. Now, on Rachel's side of the fence, I don't really know why she was allowed to take the test. You know, everything I've read so far and everything I've presented gives this sense that she was just being eaten up inside with guilt. But, you know, it could have been that she insisted on taking the test. I suspect that Sheila talked her into it to some degree. And, you know, if that's the case, if she says, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, all her attorneys could really do is say, this is a bad decision. I'm advising you not to do it, but I can't stop you from doing it. It's your choice. So they agreed to it, like I said. On the day of the test, Sheila showed up, confidently answered all the questions she was asked, and quickly failed. It indicated she was being deceptive on many of the important questions. Rachel's test went a little differently. As her dad was driving her to the test, she seriously jumped out of the car and ran away. I'm not making this up. She ended up hiding in the one place where she said she felt safest in the world, Sheila's mom's office. Of course, police are saying that the teenagers are cracking. And so they decide, let's make as much noise as possible. Let's shake all the trees we can and see what falls out. So they begin like super aggressively re-questioning anyone who was friendly with the girls, anyone who had contact with them. And they did it noisily so that Sheila and Rachel knew this was going on. The police made sure that police cars were always passing by their houses, so they were constantly being reminded that the law is in their life. They wanted it to feel like the police were everywhere in their lives at every turn. Now, at the advice of counsel, Rachel's parents tried to keep her away from Sheila as best they could, but this proved to be more difficult than keeping a hound dog away from a dead animal. Eventually, that situation came to a head when Rachel exploded and began like violently attacking her mother. Her stepfather called 911 because he couldn't even restrain her. Um, she was in such a frenzy. She had you know Hulk-like strength. And so the police came, and by the time they got there, she had just run out of adrenaline and energy and was just kind of meekly sitting on her bed. Still very angry, but Rachel's parents asked the police, you know, to take her into custody. And they said, well, look, rather than take her straight to jail, why don't we take her to the hospital to see if this is more of an emotional breakdown sort of thing. And so they did. And she was kept for observation for three days. Now, When Rachel's parents talked to her attorneys about this, they said, look, this is actually a good thing. As soon as you go to pick her up from the hospital, don't go home. You know, don't let her take a shower or anything like that. Bring her directly to our offices. We want to speak to her before Sheila has a chance to sink her claws into her again. So they did that. And, After speaking with her attorneys, Rachel agreed to take her polygraph test. And during the polygraph test, she readily admitted she and Sheila were responsible for killing Skylar. They stabbed her to death. She answered all the investigators' questions fully, without hesitation. The only question she couldn't really answer was about the motive. All she could say was, We just didn't like Skylar anymore. Rachel agreed to show police where Skylar's body was and she left the interrogation room for a trip to Pennsylvania. But unfortunately, due to the snow, Rachel said nothing really looked the same as it did when they killed Skylar in the summer. And so she couldn't point to directly where Skylar was buried. So why would... Rachel's attorneys let her make this confession. Well, they were working out a plea deal at this time, trying to protect their client as best they could. Now, they reached a deal, and one of the terms of it was they, that she, uh, Rachel had to work with law enforcement to try to catch Sheila in a confession. And Rachel knew this, I mean, she agreed to it, but she knew this was going to be tough. She would need to muster up all the acting skills she had. Yet, somehow, Sheila caught on immediately. When she walked into Rachel's bedroom, this was the first time she had seen her since she'd been to the hospital, you know. Her her first comment that was recorded, they had bugged the room. Her first comment that was recorded was that Rachel, you're wearing a watch. I've never seen you wear a watch before. So it's like she was instantly like a bloodhound sniffing out oddities to be on the lookout for. When Rachel tried to talk about the situation with Skylar, Sheila would change the subject. She wouldn't answer any questions directly. She was just, you know, like a greased pig. It was so obvious that Sheila knew what was going on that there were some that suspected Rachel may have slipped a note to Sheila secretly telling her you know don't talk the room's bugged because this didn't work law enforcement you know decided they got to take some direct action and so they started serving search warrants on Sheila's house the first set of search warrants took all of Sheila's electronics, and all of the knives in the house. They didn't even leave one knife to allow Sheila's mom to prepare dinner that evening. Federal federal law enforcement also served a search warrant, but theirs was just for Sheila's car. So in the course of one day, Sheila learns that her best friend is being bugged by the police has all of her electronics taken by the police, has her car impounded by the FBI, and they take all the cutlery away from the house. So even somebody as tough as Sheila has got to start feeling the pressure at this point, right? So it was the reason Sheila's car was impounded was largely due to that work the state police did on the surveillance tape. They, again, they went through it frame by frame, like I said, but they were able to pull out specific little details on certain frames, little flaws in the vehicle that they could match to Sheila's car. And that was enough information for the FBI to be able to get a warrant to seize Sheila's vehicle. And the suspicions that it was Sheila's vehicle in the security footage was confirmed when traces of Skylar's blood were found in and around the trunk. Likely, it was drops of blood that fell off of Rachel and Sheila while they were cleaning up. You remember from our first episode how they, I mean, they had wipies, they had paper towels, they had a whole murder kit in the back of uh, Sheila's car ready to go. So the fact that some blood got in there, you know, when you've got somebody who's not very experienced doing killing, not shocking. Law enforcement also decided they weren't willing to wait for the snow to melt to find Skylar's body. So they secured some cadaver dogs and, and took them to the area where Rachel said Skylar would be found. And sure enough, bones that matched Skyler's dimensions were found. Sadly, this was only about two or three hundred feet away from the outside edge of the predefined search area that law enforcement and the volunteers had used when looking for Skylar. It took the FBI several months to confirm that it was Skylar's body, but it did happen. And by the by, in doing so, the FBI determined from the bones. That Skylar had been stabbed at least 50 times by the two girls. Okay? Now remember, that's just gonna be knife blows that hit bone, and it's just gonna be the ones that Skylar wasn't able to deflect. And still, we have over 50 stab wounds that the FBI forensics team could confirm. When it was publicly announced that Skylar's remains had been found, Sheila tweeted, Rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. And then, days later, she tweeted out of nowhere, Quote, We really did go on three. Unquote. How freaking creepy is that? On May 1st, police were ready to make arrests. Finally, for Skyler's murder, pursuant to the plea agreement, Rachel was allowed to turn herself into the police. She was immediately taken over to the appropriate court, and she pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, receiving a thirty-year sentence. This will allow her to be eligible for parole in 2024, just a few years from where, when we're recording this. Sheila, however, was taken by a total surprise. She was eating lunch with her mom as officers waited in the parking lot in unmarked cars. As they exited, Sheila was approached, arrested, and her mother was giving her given paperwork indicating her daughter was being charged with first-degree murder. Her mom just collapsed there on the sidewalk. Police, in general, aren't cruel people. I mean, they're humans, after all, right? and yes they deal with monsters and you know there are monsters among the police force but here you know in this situation when they see sheila's mom kind of collapse, one of the officers agrees to sit with her for a spell and says you know what you really ought to do right now is call up sheila's attorney and go meet with with them now while sheila's being transported to jail Having just been arrested for first-degree murder, all Sheila was concerned about, at least all she would verbalize in the car ride, was, my hair's a mess. I wish I could fix my hair. Does anybody have a scrunchie or, or, or some sort of hair tie? I don't want to look bad in case there's reporters there. And this attitude continued during the pretrial proceedings. It looked as if Sheila was enjoying the hearings and having all these people come in to talk about her didn't matter what they were saying but they were talking about her they were showing her attention she she acted like she was a princess at a party being held in her honor rather than as a child facing a murder charge now in jail sheila continued to scheme she began spreading rumors throughout the facility that rachel was a squealer and a narc, and no one should trust her. Sheila then found the biggest girl in her unit and seduced her. Uh, it was a girl named Dawn. She and Dawn made love. Sheila pretended to be her girlfriend. And after she was assured that Dawn was under her spell, Sheila asked Dawn to hunt down Rachel and make her life miserable. And Dawn tried. And But honest to God, when she caught up to Rachel, she just found her to be too nice. Don actually broke up with Sheila and instead became Rachel's friend and kind of her bodyguard while they were in the same facility. So when that tactic didn't work, Sheila did what she did best and used her looks to seduce a male guard and had sex with them there in the prison in an effort to try to find another way to get at Rachel. But their escapades weren't as private as they thought. The guard was fired within about 48 hours, and Sheila was back to square one. Now, after Rachel was sentenced and she was taken to the facility where she would serve her sentence, she was allowed to have real visitors. And so Rachel's boyfriend came along and visited her she was so excited to see him but he he just couldn't figure out why she was happy i mean his mind she shouldn't be in jail she didn't do anything wrong but she says no look you don't understand i killed skylar i did it i deserve to be here and he was totally confused and befuddled and he said why why would you kill skylar and her answer was she had to do it because Skylar was about to blackmail Rachel and Sheila with the videos she had of the two of them having sex. Now, Sheila, despite loving the limelight and whatnot, actually made a surprising move and changed her plea before her trial. She said she was guilty. She was sentenced to the maximum allowed for a juvenile defendant, life in prison with the possibility of parole everyone knew she was going to be going to be going to trial i mean it was just a fact and they knew it because her ego wouldn't allow her to miss that opportunity for the limelight yet she did it now it was a deal her attorneys had worked out and the deal was basically like, well, let's take a step back remember sheila and rachel concocted this plan at Sheila's home in West Virginia, they picked up Schuyler in West Virginia. They drove into Pennsylvania, committed the crimes there, disposed of evidence somewhere between Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And that meant there's three jurisdictions involved. West Virginia could prosecute her for the kidnapping and subsequent murder of Skylar. Pennsylvania could prosecute her for the murder of Schuyler, and then the federal government could also prosecute her for the kidnapping and murder. So the deal was, she was pleading guilty in West Virginia, but in exchange, the feds and Pennsylvania were going to drop the charges they were preparing to bring against Sheila. Now, interestingly, it's been reported that the FBI had prepared an expert witness to testify in Sheila's case and part of his testimony was going to be that from reviewing their social media histories, from reviewing the diaries they kept and reviewing statements made by others about their activity, he was prepared to state that in his opinion Sheila had psychopathic tendencies. That's not the correct term, but that's how it was reported. He also reached the opinion that Rachel had sociopathic tendencies. Also, there was some evidence discovered among Sheila's belongings that she was already planning her next murder target, if she could get away with the Skylar killing. And guess who her target was? Her friend Sheena, that had made that collage for her. I, I don't I don't know why she would be her next target. There's no motive that I'm aware of here. But that's the evidence police found. Um, There also has to be noted, you know, that kind of wraps up the case. Sheila, I didn't mention this, but Sheila, since she's eligible for parole, her first hearing will be in 2029. I would say the odds of her being released are not very good, considering all the facts of this case. But... That's just something to throw in. One thing I do want to note is this case caused changes to the Amber Alert system we have here in the United States. Now, that system is run at the state level, so each state has their own rules about when it can be activated. But in West Virginia, because of Schuyler going missing and being found dead, the legislature changed the rules on when law enforcement could request an Amber Alert. And now an alert can be sent out for any missing child with a few restrictions. No longer does it have to be a child that's been kidnapped. And it was called Schuyler's Law. And Schuyler's Law has become kind of the model law for updating the Amber Alert system. And many, many states have copied it to adjust when their law enforcement agencies can request an Amber Alert. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of Skylar, Sheila, and Rachel. Quite a ride, huh? Hopefully it was an entertaining one for y'all. I hope the second part was more entertaining, as I promised. Uh, I at least found it to be, but, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I'm, I'm not really in touch with anything normal anymore. I have a ton of thoughts on this case, of course, but... Since this episode's long enough, I'm just going to hit some of the high points. I'll do a uh, special sidebar for our Patreons to hear my full thoughts. Sheila was just a budding little serial killer, wasn't she? No remorse. This event was all about her and her mind. Um, you know, Skylar was the pedestal that she got to stand on for attention. And I just don't understand such heartlessness. I've certainly experienced people who are this way. It's just the best way I can really comprehend it. And this may be a terrible analogy, but it works for me. It's like these people are the main character of a video game in their mind. And their decision-making is guided solely by what would be best for me in this game. The consequences to all the other characters, the NPCs and whatnot, don't matter because they're not me. I'm on a mission to do something. That's what the game's about. Yeah, I firmly believe that if Sheila had the choice of receiving $100, but 50 random people in the world would die, she wouldn't really grasp the morality of the issue. You know, $100 is $100. And people all the time, and it doesn't get her money, so why not take the offer? As for Rachel, I'm I'm frankly kind of shocked that the FBI expert reached the conclusion that she was kind of a sociopath. Again, it's kind of an antiquated term. Now, I'm far, 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 but very far away from being anything close to an expert on psychology. But as I understand it, sociopaths, you know, are usually the folks that lack empathy and like to control and manipulate people. Well, here, you know, we have all this evidence of Rachel undergoing extreme guilt. She was clearly being manipulated and controlled by Sheila. I mean, she had a effectively a nervous breakdown that hospitalized her. I don't know, you know, what issues Rachel has or had, but I kind of view her as a bit of a victim. A bit of a victim. Without Sheila, this murder doesn't happen. Rachel gets drug into the plan, in my opinion. But, I mean, Rachel helped plan it. Rachel called for the start of the killing. She said three, remember. Remember? And she certainly stabbed Skylar a number of times. I'm not suggesting in any way that she deserves mercy or pity, but I personally just put the evilness of this plan more so at the foot of Sheila than I do Rachel. I'm also very shocked that Sheila got the deal she did. I cannot believe the feds and Pennsylvania agreed to dismiss their cases against her. Um, that's just wild because if something went wrong with the conviction in West Virginia, it would be almost impossible for Pennsylvania or the feds to bring a case at that point. Besides, you know, and crazy things happen in criminal cases all the time, especially ones like this where there's such a rush to get the case closed because it's been, so traumatic for a community and such a popular item in the press, mistakes get made. And I mean, with the position I hold now, I see it all the time. And I just don't know why I mean, if I was if I was the prosecutor in Pennsylvania, if I was in the u s. attorney's office, no, she would have to plead to something in my jurisdiction. It could run concurrent with her sentence in West Virginia. I wouldn't care about that, but we're getting a conviction as a backup should something go wrong with the West Virginia conviction. All right, so um, I, I think we're over an hour at this point. So, like I said, I'll, I'll have more thoughts on our Patreon. Let's let's try to improve the mood with a good old palate cleanser, right? And and this one, <laughs> this one's cute. So hopefully, it works what do you call a donkey that only has three legs? What do you call a donkey that has only three legs? You call it a wonky. So I like that one. That one's cute. All right. As I've kind of alluded to, you know, I spent a long time working on this case, um, and it was kind of exhausting. Um, not physically, it was, you know, just emotionally and mentally it's, yeah, you know, And, you know, if, if you're interested in learning more about this case and you want to do your own poking around, I would really strongly suggest you start with the book Pretty Little Killers. It's by Daleen Berry and Jeffrey Fuller. I've got it listed in our show notes, of course, but it's a really thorough account of this case. The only real criticism I had in the book was it kind of bounces around a bit in the timeline. Um so it can be a little tricky to follow, but now they, they've they got a ton of good sources. Uh, they interviewed a lot of people, and it's it's an interesting read. It, to me, it's well worth the money if you want to get knee-deep into this case. Um, on Amazon, I think the paperback version is like 16 bucks, and the Kindle version is $10. Uh, I got the Kindle version, and uh, to me, it was worth the money. Anyway, I won't belabor that anymore. Um, you know, this this was a journey. Obviously, the most we've gotten into a case before, but I hope it was worth it. Um, if y'all hate <laughs> this being broken up into two parts, let me know um, if you'd like us to do more cases that, revol- that involve, um, you know, longer episodes that have to be split up. Let me know that, too. You can reach us. We've got our Facebook group. We've got our Instagram, which is kmh.podcast. Those are probably the two best ways to reach us besides email. Email's always great, info at kmhpodcast.com. Patrons get a special way to contact us, so you can join and hit us up there. But anyway, I'll uh, stop rambling. I'm going to ask, you know, everybody... Be good. Be nice. Like I always say, let's try and make the world a little bit better of place. Let's just do one nice thing a day. It's not that hard. You can't even do the nice thing for yourself. That still counts. Y'all are my audience, and I love y'all for it. Y'all guys are awesome. I really appreciate you tuning in. We've gotten some really lovely reviews. I've gotten lots of Instagram messages from y'all, and... Really do appreciate it. I've said it before, but, you know, it takes a lot of time and work to put these episodes out. And it feels really nice to hear someone appreciate it. Um, So thank y'all. Please keep being awesome like y'all are. Um, Please keep sharing the show so we keep growing. And keep knowing that I really do love each and every one of y'all and am rooting for y'all. And if I I can ever do anything to help, just message me. All right. Man, we're going to have to do some week episode next week for me to recover from this this work, huh? All right. Y'all be good. See you next week. Brad, out. Thank you for listening to Kellen hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.